and peace of Christ be with you. And also with you. you to Laguna Presbyterian Church. We're glad that you're here today, and uh, there's a friendship pad on each one of the pews. It's near the center aisle, and we'd love to have you fill it out. Let us know you're here. Pass it down the row so other people can do that too. The announcements in the life of the church are inside of your bulletin, and you can see that we have a new members class that's going to be immediately after this service at 11.15. It will be over in Tankersley Hall. Uh, we'll have a bit of a bite of lunch, and uh, we'll talk about our church if you've been around for a while and you think you might want to become a formal part of our church, we'd love to have you come and find out more about us. Or if you're just interested in finding out more about us, it's a chance to do that at that class today. We also have a parenting class for parents of children who are zero to six. You, it is not too late to join that. Uh, they started last week, but they have a new speaker each week. And you can sign up online. There's information about how to do that. Our women's retreat is next weekend. If you'd like to come, there's still room on Saturday. So you can go online and sign up to come just for the day on Saturday. And at about 11 days from now, we are having a concert that you've probably never heard of before. It is a concert of 15 cellos. So can you imagine? Remember we had that one Sunday when we had harps up here, like 11 harps or something? We're going to have 15 cellos up here. It's on a Thursday night at 6. Sounds just right to go out to dinner afterwards. So I hope you'll join us for that. The Third Friday group invites you to join them for a St. Patrick's Day dinner. And we're also going to be hearing Laura Pollocky talk to us about the decommissioning of San Onofre and the issues that have come up around that and questions around that. She is working on that. Uh, you do need to sign up on the patio for that. If you're going to women's retreat, sign up today because you won't be here next week to do that. Uh, also, we're, it, we have a chance for you to be part of our hospitality on Easter, reaching out to the community. Uh, you can sign up at one of the booths that's in Tankersley Hall this morning to be a greeter or to donate one of the lilies that will be here for Easter Sunday morning. Lots of things that you can do because we get quite festive on Easter and have a, pass out cookies and fancy coffee and things like that for our neighbors who will be here. Also, the Heritage Foundation invites you to leave a lasting legacy by putting uh, the church in your will. And if you become a charter member of that, there's a luncheon in two weeks from today for people who are charter members of that. Uh, you, there's a handout over at the booth that you, they will give you, and you can uh, just say that you're putting the church in your will. You don't have to tell us how much or show us evidence or anything like that. 
Um, so you can do that today uh, so that you do it in time to come to the brunch. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord. Let's pray. Loving God, all night we slept in your shadow, sheltered by you. We're grateful for the gift of this day. Today, as we come to worship, you startle us with your truth and open our minds to your spirit through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
Give to the Lord, give to the Lord glory and power. Give to the Lord the glory due God's name. Bow down to the Lord in holy splendor. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glorious God thunders. The Lord is over the mighty waters. The Lord's voice is strong. The Lord's voice is majestic. Give to the Lord the glory due God's name.
let us be seated. Oh Lord, come and purify our hearts. Let us be as gold and precious silver. You've called us to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation set apart. And that's what this song is about, being set apart and choosing that to be set apart for God, to be used by God, to proclaim the good news of God's great love shown forth in Jesus Christ. And so we'll sing together, Refiner's Fire. ready 
we ask God to restore us to the way that we have been, we've not asked for all that God intends to give. God is not content simply to return or restore us to former things. Instead, God gives the gift of resurrection, of new life. With confidence in God's generosity, let us confess our sin and seek the new life offered in Jesus Christ. Let us pray responsively. Faithful God, you lead us from slavery into freedom. We confess that we are conditioned to the slavery of sin. We are comfortable with the way things are. You show us again and again the way to new life through Jesus Christ. We cling to our old ways and quickly lose sight of your way. We confess that our ways seem good and comfortable till we look around at the damage we have done to others and to ourselves. Merciful God, help us to see we are no longer slaves, but are your beloved children, as we bring to you now the silent confessions of our hearts. For we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. My friends, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. To the God of all ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, the honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. the middle part of Exodus, we see clearly that it isn't about the mountain. It's about the presence of God. Mountain just happens to be the place where God hangs out for a while. For those who go to Middle East and look for Mount Sinai and discover it and think they're in a holy place, I'm here to suggest to you 
No, not true. God's not there right now. That's an ordinary mountain. Like all mountains belong to God. It's about the presence of God, not about the mountain. It's about the presence of God, not about the beauty of the sanctuary. It's about the presence of God, not about the great shrines that we build. And so Exodus 18, 19, and 20 are an accent on what happens when God shows up. In Exodus 18, we have the model of the priest Jethro. Because Israel is going to be invited to become priests, and they need some models of what that means. Jethro is a prime model. In Exodus 19, we see that God wants the entire nation of Israel, all all the Hebrew slaves together, to become a nation of priests. It's a dramatic shift from being a community of slaves to a nation of priests. In Exodus 20, we see that God is in the midst of the people and giving them practical ways that they can engage becoming priests. We often call those the Ten Commandments. But the primary thing is that they not fear being in God's presence. And so we look at this text, which is printed on the front of your bulletin, right near the painting, and let us look at what God says to the people. When all the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking, they were afraid and trembled and stood at a distance and said to Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen to you, but don't let God speak to us or we'll die. Then Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. For God has come only to test you and to put the fear of him upon you so that you may not do sin. Hmm. Don't be afraid, but be very afraid. Sounds like Moses and God are speaking out of both sides of their mouths, doesn't it? The people were not convinced, so the people stood at a distance while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. This is the word of the Lord. That verse 20 is what we would often refer to as the oxymoron. It's oxymoronic. It is the presence of juxtaposing and even opposing ideas that are literally put together for a purpose. Don't be afraid. But if you know God, you'd better be afraid. What do we do with that? It's no wonder some people are faith or schizophrenic. That's a frequently referred to and repeated term throughout Scripture. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's the very same term that Moses turns around and says, but you need to be afraid of God. The people are terrified. After all, this is a very threatening, big show that God's putting on. There in the book of the Pentateuch is a proportional demonstration of God's presence and power 
depending on the size of the audience. The bigger the crowd, the bigger the show. When Moses was being embraced by God up there on the mountain, it wasn't a big, total fiery mountain that showed up. It was a little burning bush. God's proportional to the size of the group watching. Moses discovered at the burning bush that whereas God is an intimidating presence, God wants a relationship. Moses discovered that the road to priesthood is a road of dealing with our fears and facing God. But these people are at the beginning place. They are trembling, they are standing off at a distance, and they are not impressed with the idea of being invited into God's presence. Moses, you go, we're staying right here. I have heard a few times in my life as a pastor, Pastor, you go, we're going to stay right here. Well, there's merit to that because we know that some people have gotten to know God better than the rest of us and can hang out in God's presence without being threatened. Moses learned that over a period of 40 years. Moses became the priest. He had a great model in his father-in-law Jethro, and he's still learning. But the people have been slaves. And it's a long time before they will learn to be priests. And in fact, the test that they have in front of them to see if they're willing to trust God continues to be the challenge throughout the wilderness to the point that one of the reasons they are lost in the wilderness for 40 years is because they don't pass the test of trust. They don't have the trust that God can really help them to defeat the giants of Canaan. And so they stand at a distance. They say, God, let's just stay out here in the wilderness and not go to Canaan. It's too dangerous. And that's part of the issue of dealing with the power and presence of God. When we sense things are just a little too dangerous and God's not powerful enough or we're not trusting enough to be in the power of God, then we just want to stand back and hope that it doesn't touch us. The Hebrew here for fear is used twice in opposite directions. The first one is for distrust. The people did not trust God. They trembled and they stood afar off and they sent Moses in their place. But Moses trusts God, and Moses turns to the people and says, if you would fear God or trust God, the same word, then God will embrace you and bring you into the place where you too can be priests. We are invited to deal with our fears as we are willing to become priests of God. In fact, if we don't deal with our fear, then our priesthood is lost. Now, some of you think I come from a rather interesting, if not strange, family. With the name Eisnogel, there has to be some peculiarities to the family, and there are. My oldest brother, Wendell, 
is practically a lifelong entomologist with a specialty in arachnology. That's the study of spiders. He is, in fact, internationally known as a Spider-Man. His specialty is trapdoor spiders, which is a small segment of tarantula. Those are one mean-looking set of spiders. And of course, in God's humor, as the third son, I was born with my oldest brother as a spider lover. I have a phobia of spiders. I have an arachnophobia. And so my brother would bring out the tarantulas, and I would look for a place to hide, get that as far away from me as possible. He would constantly say to us, you know, spiders are God's wonderful, good creatures. And I would be thinking to myself, I believe the devil brought them to the earth. <laughs> I wanted nothing to do with them. Today, I still want nothing to do with spiders. So isn't it an irony that on the one hand, my brother, who has a great respect and love for spiders, and an admiration for a God who created the spiders, and his brother is terrified by them. I believe that's a bit of what's going on here. For you see, my brother knows those spiders. He studied those spiders. He's been with those spiders. He's turned some of those spiders loose in our house. That always bothers me, by the way. And he says, well, I've lost one of my spiders. And I said, well, where is it? He says, I don't have a clue. Sometimes I think he was just pulling my leg. So what Moses has with God is Moses has gotten to know God. Moses is no longer intimidated by God's presence. Moses is willing to go up that mountain that's blasting away in fire and smoke and heat and thundering and earthquakes. He goes right into it, and the people see him disappear into the black smoke. And he comes out. He hasn't been singed. So the people are saying, Moses, you've learned. You go for us. We're not ready and we're not willing. Priests, in order to become priests, we need leaders who have already gone there before us and have learned how to relate to God and to respect God and honor God so that we can see it is doable. One of my trust moments in training in leadership was with a Bethlehem Steel executive who decided to do a workshop on leadership. And one of the things that he did was a trust moment. We were broken up into small groups, and every group was to try this trust procedure. And the trust procedure was to be able to have enough trust in the group that you've gotten to know that you could actually fall back into their arms, they would catch you and not allow you to fall to the ground. Have you ever had that trust mo moment? Well, I would watch smaller people fall back and the groups would grasp them. And I thought about myself and said, no, I don't think so. I trust the leader. 
but I don't trust the strength of this group to catch a 280-pound, six-foot-six man. And so I didn't do it. You see, we have to learn to trust by getting to know our groups. And that's what God's doing with these people that are slaves. God is inviting them into a trust relationship that is not easy. God has not made it easy. In fact, God has become intentionally somewhat intimidating on that mountain. I want you to trust me, but you're going to have to really work through your fears to get there. And isn't that the way to genuine trust? Where we have to, with courage, work through the stuff that scares us and frightens us and helps us to take the risk to move toward a dangerous presence. I love the way C.S. Lewis articulates the character of Aslan the lion as the presence of Jesus in the books The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. When the children ask about Aslan, they say, well, is Aslan safe to be with? And the word comes back to them, no, Aslan is not safe. Aslan is good. But you've got to be willing to risk the relationship of being in the presence of one mean-looking lion in order to find out how good he is. God is saying to us, do you know who I am? If you're willing to take the risk, come and trust me. Otherwise, you're going to be looking at me from a distance for a long period of time. And that's where Israel looked at God for a long period of time. They just didn't trust God. I think it is our human disposition to want to look at God from a distance. Because trusting God is one tough process. And God doesn't make it easy. So Israel refused to test God. The test is really the process of proving that God is accessible and trustworthy and relatable. And Israel says, no way. You go, Moses. To build trust is the process of becoming a priest. It isn't a seminary process. It isn't a process of rituals. It's simply are you building trust among God's presence and among the people whom God loves? The person who has built a lot of trust with God and is trustworthy in the presence of other human beings, that is the true priest. The one who's willing to make the sacrifice, have the patience, the kindness, the commitment and the caring to be able to sustain a relationship when it's really, really hard. I would suggest to you that we are living in days when we have a number of fears because we are faced with a number of hard, hard things. And the challenge for us is do we trust God more than we are afraid of stuff? This is one of the challenges of watching the news or reading the news every day or listening to what's going on because much news is built around the assumption that you should be afraid. 
and that people are afraid, and we are going to keep feeding you news that's going to cost you to be afraid. And for Christians to come along or people of faith to come along and say, no, I fear God more than I fear the stuff going on around me is a big risk. So if it's the coronavirus or it's our political polarization or it's the fear of whatever is going on that that could ruin our lives, this is the confrontation of what are you afraid of? Is your fear controlling your ability to face God and to love your neighbor? When Saul was on the road to Damascus and he became Paul because Jesus showed up and confronted him, Saul had been living a life of fear. He was constantly afraid. He wasn't measuring up to be perfect enough for God. And he was constantly intimidating other people because they weren't measuring up. And he literally lived a life as a Pharisee of driving fear. And what what Jesus says to him on the road is, basically, why are you so driven by fear, Paul, Saul? And it changes his life. And so Jesus could be saying the same thing to us today. Why are we so driven by fear? If you're willing to walk into the presence that's hard and face your fears, then you will be able to live a life that's not driven or is not permeated by fear. Rodney Stark is a famous sociology, historical sociologist, who was trying to understand why is it that Christianity grew so fast in the first 300 years of its life. After all, he knew from just certain historical documents that the church actually grew from about 100 disciples and apostles to several million people in 300 years. How did that happen? And his book, The Rise of Christianity, is a sociological study on how that probably happened. And one of the major things about that book is that the Christians provided social services in a way that pagans never did. Particularly during the examples of the two major plagues that killed millions of people in those days. When the pagans heard that the plague was coming to town, they all left town ASAP. Even the priests were out in front because they probably got the word before anybody else, we're not going to be here because that plague's going to get us. What the Christians did was stay behind and care for people with the plague. And some of them didn't live. They sacrificed their lives to care about pagans who had the plague. Over a period of time, the pagans watched this dynamic of the contrast between pagan religion and Christian followers, and they said, why would anybody want to be a pagan when this is the quality of being that will develop in us if we're Christians? He said that's one of the big contributions to why the church grew so fast, because they didn't leave when the diseases hit. Now think of that in light of coronavirus. 
One of the things I think God is challenging us to do is not be driven by fear. Yes, it is a dangerous disease. But God is more powerfully present and has a bigger purpose than being afraid of a dangerous disease. And so we have a call in the midst of this to be priests who literally stay present for others that are struggling and not to perpetuate and magnify and amplify the fear. Don't be afraid. If you have respect for God and you honor God's greater presence and you see the power of God and you know that God is bigger than any disease, then go in there and fight it. Go in there and resist it. By the way, I'm preaching to myself first of all because I am one of the chief priests. Trust is easier to embrace if we see how it works in another relationship. Some people think, well, that mountain is all about God alone. Now, I'd like to suggest to you that it's not. That mountain is about God inviting Moses to come up and go down, inviting the people to come close. That mountain is about God's presence where he has already built a close relationship with Moses, and he's saying to Moses, I'm inviting the people to come and be like you, to be priests who come close to me and care about each other. The people are able to see Moses' relationship with God. And they are able to see enough to say, if Moses can do it, if we've got the courage and the guts, we can do it too. It's just that a lot of them never developed the courage and the guts to do it. And so becoming a person of trust is always about watching other people who have gone there before us and have already practiced it. Parents and grandparents, this is a great thing for our children. Because the children are watching from the time that they're the youngest and they're feeling whether or not they can trust you and trust your relationship with each other. And the kids feed on that trust or they feed on the fear. If a relationship is driven by fear, the kids pick that up and absorb it, and they become fear-driven. If the kids pick up the trust, they feed on that and begin to imitate it, and they become faith-driven. Parents and grandparents, we have a very powerful impact as priests to our families and to our neighbors. People are watching us to see if we're driven by fear or by grace, mercy, and love. This is why Moses kept repeating to Israel, know who God is. Don't be afraid. God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. You need not fear God in the sense of being terrified. But you need to honor and respect the power of God's presence. So it's about the team. And that's why it's so important for us to have relationships with each other that are built on trust, because while people may see trust in us individually, it is multiplied when they see trust in us together.
And so the metaphor is clear for us. The 2020 vision is this verse. Don't give in to the fear of stuff that could hurt you, but be committed to the fear of God who will heal you. And that's the vision for the priesthood for the future. And can you imagine a church like Laguna Presbyterian Church full of people that are not afraid of all the stuff, but have such a great reverence for a loving God who can meet people in the midst of their pain? May God help us to be that kind of a congregation because that's who Jesus is. Let's pray. Oh Lord, Help us with our fears. Help us to look to those that have already demonstrated their desire and their ability to be your priests and help us to learn from them and to thrive in their presence, in your presence. Help us to see Jesus as our high priest. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh Lord, you know the anxieties and the fears of our own hearts. We thank you that this world is in your hands, that you know and care for us in the midst of our fears and our troubles, and that you are a God who can be trusted. And so we trust you now to work your ways amongst us. We entrust you the coronavirus all who are infected with it, those who are quarantined, those who are fighting it. We bring restoration to the broken places of our world. Forgive us for the pushing and shoving amongst us, for allowing our concern for ourselves to become hoarding without regard to the needs of others. Give strength to the people of Tennessee to survivors of this week's tornado, those who grieve, to those who face the great task of rebuilding their lives, which have been turned upside down. And so we pray together for the coming of the day when there will be no more tornadoes and no more disease, and your will will be done on earth as in heaven, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. In many places, money and fear are deeply connected. We want to hold on to our money because we're afraid we're not going to have enough. We want to hold on to our money because we're afraid we're going to lose control of our lives if we don't. I would like to say that every Sunday's offering is an opportunity for us to say, I'm letting go of the fear. I'm embracing the God who is graciously present in the midst of all the difficult stuff. And so today we have an opportunity to give and let go of the fear.
May God help us to do that.
time we'll walk by faith we'll walk by faith and not by sight thank you gracious god for giving us all of the good things of life the wealth that we have the health the relationships of love your invitation to be priests. And we do want to walk in trust of your presence, not by the threat of all the fears surrounding us. So we offer these gifts to you to release us from fear and bring us to full life through Jesus Christ, our great high priest. Amen. As this service concludes, if you would like someone to pray for you, maybe about something that you fear or some anxiety that you have, that you have trouble trusting to God, there'll be some people right up here and they'd love to pray for you. Don't let the spiders get you. <laughs> See, that's a terrible thing to say to people who have arachnophobia. The priest should say, you know, God is with you no matter what's out there. God is watching out of you. God loves you, and God's going to care for you. You can deal with those spiders. May you go in the grace, mercy, and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, because Jesus shows us a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abundant in steadfast love. Be free to share that with your friends, your family, and your neighbors. Amen.